everyone, and welcome to the Change Makers Podcast, where we chat with interesting and engaging individuals here and far about change, making change, living change in their own lives, how they've experienced unimaginable change, and innovative ways people uplift the lives of others. We chat about triumphs over tragedies, mindset matters, and how we live out our life's purpose inspirationally. So please join us to be inspired and empowered to be the change you want to see in this world. You know, we can all be change makers in our lives. Here's to the change you're about to bring forth. Thank you uh, for joining us for another episode of Changemakers. I'm Kimberly Rice, Chief Changemaker, where we create bold careers and lives. And I'm so excited to be joined today. Uh, our guest is Jeffrey Tobias Halter of Why Women. So Jeffrey, I want to introduce you and to welcome you to our Changemaker podcast today. Um, and we're going to have a delightful conversation. Thank you, Kimberly, for having me on. I spent the first 20 years of my career in sales, uh, sales management, P&L responsibility. And uh, about 20 years ago, I was actually in a sales training capacity when my company went through a $200 million lawsuit, uh, laid off 8,000 people, and I got moved from sales training to leading the diversity education initiative. Now, I'm a straight white guy, and I wondered what meeting I didn't go to to get in charge of this project. <laughs> uh, but I had two, uh, two small children, and I needed a job, so, uh, so I jumped in, yeah, even though I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and it was fascinating, because I'd sit in this program, and I had to train over 4,000 people. And every day I heard a story, a, a story about uh, unconscious bias around racism, about sexism and homophobia. And I have what they call a white male epiphany, oh. where you realize what white male privilege is and the world revolves around you. Uh, your voice is always heard in meetings. You're typically by default the largest number uh, and on and on and on. Now, at that time, I did not choose to become an advocate, I merely chose to get curious and start asking questions and and talking to people about the experiences they were having, and quite frankly, on a more macro basis, the impact it was having on our company uh, uh, in a broader standpoint. And so about eight years later, our company was actually award-winning in this space now. My, My last role was as Director of Diversity Strategy. And I had an opportunity to go out and benchmark with best-in-class companies, IBM, Marriott, Sodexo, and see what they were doing. And so about 10 years ago, I launched my company called Why Women, which does two things. One, it focuses on helping companies create end-to-end women's leadership advancement strategies, because most companies really today even don't have a strategy. They have a bunch of disjointed programs uh, cobbled together and led by very well-meaning members of a resource group. 
but very few companies in, in, in even the Fortune 100 have an end-to-end -end strategy. And then the last piece of my work is around finding men who are ready to be advocates. We've been trying to advance women now for uh, 20 years and the numbers haven't changed. And I have a very simple belief. Men are still 80% of senior leadership, which says we're 80% of the problem, but we're also 80% of the solution. And you're never gonna drive long-term systemic change in organization without male engagement, active male engagement. And so that's the work I do today. So it's interesting, um, and thank you for sharing that with us. Um, you mentioned that you are a gender strategist. Mm -hmm. um, and in your, in your latest article, which I read, found very fascinating, driving workplace equality, awareness, accountability, and advocacy, you say, uh, you work with organizations to advance women using a combination of top-level business strategies and working systemically to engage men as allies and advocates within the organization. Please share with us what that means as a practical matter for men in the workplace. Yeah, and I'm actually going to uh, start uh, with the advocacy piece, really an, an understanding. I'm going to go to the the business piece, and then I'm going to come back to advocacy. Uh, and so the first work I do is around the, the first A, as I call it, called awareness. And what this has to do with is educating men very simply in the fact that men and women are having different experiences in the workplace. And before I go any farther for your listeners, uh, I just want to be clear, the strategies that I talk about focus uh, as on women, as I see women, you know, being a, uh, a key gate to get through, but the strategies apply equally to other dimensions of diversity, such as race, sexual orientation, uh, or, or other um, classifications of underrepresented groups. So, so realize that I use women as a way to do one thing, and that's have a conversation around gender in the workplace. And if we can do that, then we can talk about race, then we can talk about uh, gender non-binary, but, but I choose women as the most common denominator. And I have men do one simple thing, and this is for your listeners, and I'm, I'm guessing you're gonna have a lot of uh, female listeners, so, so ask men to go do this with a colleague of yours. And that is take a woman to coffee and ask one simple question. What don't I know about your work experience? Is there anything different that you're experiencing that I'm not? And you know what, Kimberly, the, the woman is not going to say anything. She's not gonna volunteer. She doesn't wanna be the flag bearer for all things women in the organization. And so all men need to do is ask again, tell me if there's something I don't know. And she might open up and don't interrupt her. Don't say, you know, we got a program for that or have you looked at this? Just listen. And then do it a third time. And in that third 10 minutes, you're going to hear root cause issues that exist in your organization that you had no idea. And then you can choose to act on them. So I work with a large client, a big pharma company. And, and this is a great story to bear this out. And I would actually ask your listeners to go test it out. So I made this comment that a woman's voice is talked over 
or her idea ignored, this is the number one microaggression that women face, eight to 10 times a day. And this gentleman was a senior scientist and he called me three weeks after our training session and said, Jeff, I didn't believe you. I needed data. And I sat in my staff meeting and I kept a tally sheet. And every time a woman's voice was talked over or her idea ignored or stolen, I kept a checklist. And when it happened 20 times, I knew we had to do something differently about inclusion and listening to every voice and honoring the, and, and, and honoring the voices. So this is where you have to start with awareness. The fact that the genders are in fact having different experiences. Then the next thing is accountability. Uh, this is a fascinating one. We measure and track every possible metric in an organization you can imagine. But if we say we want to move towards 40% of women in sales roles or 50% of women in, uh, in leadership roles, all of a sudden people go, oh my gosh, you can't track that. You can't do that. We track everything in organizations. And I believe this linchpin of accountability is the biggest weakness we have in the system today. Uh, and, 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 and what that looks like uh, is this notion of, are you using diverse slates? Are you using diverse panels? Are you recruiting differently? Do you have open job posting? Are you using hypo development? Are you tracking regrettable losses? Or more importantly, are you operationalizing the business case through accountability? And what I mean by that is there, there's a great Deloitte study on delivering through diversity. It says 76% of leaders believe in gender equity, but only 16% hold people accountable for a plan. Well, I'm sorry, unless this is important to my boss or my paycheck, I don't care. And so this is where accountability becomes important. And it's gonna happen from the very top of the organization down to the first rung, uh, the McKinsey Women in the Workforce Study 2019 just published what they're calling the broken rung. And that first job from individual contributor to manager, for every man, for every 100 men, only 72 women are promoted in their first job. And so you think about this, right? We've, we've had senior leaders holding people accountable but we don't really, you know, the, the people who get the least amount of training is that first level manager. And that might be a department hire. And, and are they really looking at succession planning? Are they even able to groom talent in the lower level of the organization? And so this is where you got to get really firm around metrics and holding the entire organization accountable. And there's a tipping point that we've already reached, and this is why this is so important. It goes back to this intersectionality of dimensions of diversity. Okay, 10,000 boomers, largely old white men like myself, are gonna leave the workforce every day, every year for the next seven years. 80% of the new workforce is either a woman, a person of color, or a millennial. And so all of these groups want to be managed differently than the way we have managed people in the past. 
And if you think about just that representation of older white men leaving and this new workforce coming up, this change is going to happen whether you expect it or not, and it's going to be on top of us before we know it. In fact, 2020 marks the tipping points for millennial. This year, millennials, who are now turning 39, these aren't kids anymore, they're sitting at the doorstep of senior leadership. Millennials are now the largest percentage of the workforce in this country. And so whether it's millennial men or women or people of color, we've got to be ready for this conversation. And then we talk about gender, 23% of Gen Z, people under the age of 20, identify as gender non-conforming or gender non-binary. And so if your company's not ready to have that discussion, it's going to be on your door before you know it. And then this brings us to the last A, which is advocacy. How do you drive advocacy? And I will tell you, it takes will. Um, there's a lot of things published nowadays around men as allies. And, and I think, you know, allies, uh, men being allies is a good term. But to me, it goes back to that research we know about that women have too many mentors and not enough sponsors. To me, an ally is a mentor, right? I'm standing next to you. I'm, I'm supporting you. Advocates are pulling you up. Advocates are demanding change. And we need male advocates who are visible and vocal. And I'll tell you what advocates look like. They have, I have found, by and large, a personal connection. They either have a working spouse, they were raised by a working mother, uh, they may have a sister, or they're the father of a daughter. And, and, and this is so hard for many women to hear, but it's true. And I use myself as an example. For me, I never made the connection that if I'm not helping women in the workforce today, I'm actually betraying my daughter's future. And it's because we led such siloed lives. You know, there was work and, and we didn't make the connection. And I believe the way we're going to have long-term systemic change is for men to realize the responsibility that they have for their daughters. Because you know what? It hasn't changed in 20 years. And companies aren't talking about pay equity the way Salesforce is. You know, companies are still having uh, employees sign non-disclosures, uh, which, which limit the exposure they have, God forbid, a sexual harassment suit comes up. Uh, and, and so these, these very systemic issues are also part of the problem that have to be resolved. So that's where this all has to work together in a cohesive strategy. So that's a very long-winded answer <laughs> to, to your original question. But it's not a simple answer, and, and that's why we haven't been able to drive progress. Well, it's very, very fascinating. Um, I, I, it, I worked in a corporate environment for over 23 years um, in very male-dominated businesses, um, in the legal services sector and in banking. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine, I guess, from the age of 19 to 45, 
um, which may be more than 20 years, um, uh, around 25 years or so. Um, and I, you know, so I, I can, I know of which you speak because I've experienced it. Sure. Uh, and gotten to the highest rung of the ladder that was available to me as a C-suite manager. And so I bring a different, I, I bring a lens to that from my own experience um, as an employee and now for over a decade as a business owner who coaches and trains women professionals on having how to navigate um, right. what the situation is. And one of the things that I can bring all that together and say, you know, well, something that you very um, wisely said that it, you know, there has to be the will to impart and integrate the three, um, the solutions to the three barriers of awareness, accountability, and advocacy. And, in, and from my view, as an employee and as a coach and a business owner, I don't see the will. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, and that's so funny you say that, right? Because every organization today is a living, breathing entity. And everyone in the company knows in a minute whether the CEO is really taking change and driving change or if this is just lip service. Right. And I believe in most companies it's just lip service because they're not ready to make hard choices. Well, One, I, agree. I agree. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and, and here's the other thing that makes this so challenging. If you look at the best-in-class companies, who's done this really well? Um, Marriott, Sodexo, uh, IBM, Johnson & Johnson, the consulting houses, they have had long-term stable CEOs. And that's so critical because you've got to be living this every day and you have to have a long-term vision. You know, when the average CEO uh, has a three- to five-year lifespan, Every one of them will say advancing women and diversity and inclusion is important, but you know, it's like number five on the list right now and number one, two, and three are really important. Mm -hmm. And you know, this, you know, what we're experiencing right now with the virus, this is 2008 all over again. Um, you're going to see budget cuts. You're going to see training reduced. Um, you know, because quite frankly, earnings aren't going to be there. Mm -hmm. and, and all of a sudden, we're going to come out of this, and we will, and the economy is going to rebound. But we've now lost another year of money, of resources, of people, of focus, because, you know, we're just trying to keep the lights on. Right. Um, and, and so that, that becomes the frustrating part is it's literally two steps forward, one step back. It's what well, you're right. And it is frustrating and the years go by and, you know, and, in all of my experience um, and tenure of working inside organizations, there was no such thing as leadership training um, yeah. or, or professional development training. I mean, I think back, I mean, the only training that I, that the firm underwrote the, the fee for um, internally was computer training, <laughs> right? You know, right. how to, how to get up on the latest word version or whatever. Yeah. But I, I want to give our listeners some, some meat. And I know that, 
you know, I'm, I'm asking the right guy here. And I, I would love to hear from your, from your unique perspective and the work that you've done in, you know, organizations large and not as large is, you know, what are a couple of steps there's a lot of good guys working in organizations today and even senior men who want to be a positive impact, make a positive impact and be a positive contributor to a diverse and inclusive work environment. But because of the, the generations in which they grew up in corporate America, which was, you know, it was non-existent. Um, I've actually coached, I've had numerous white male older clients who just don't know, who are, don't have that sensitivity to what it would mean to advocate and be an ally to help women advance into leadership. So uh, have you seen commonalities of things that men can do that would in fact be um, interpreted as you know, positive, that would engender goodwill towards you know women who are trying to advance into the workplace yeah here's what i would tell you is number one um and it goes back to an earlier comment you made you know kind of about where we are um this this boomer retirement is going to force companies to make decisions on people and quite frankly even if they only wanted to promote men it's not a sustainable business strategy. Women are getting 58% of the bachelors, 60% of the masters. Uh, you mentioned the law profession. Women are getting more uh, law degrees. And, 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 uh, and so you've got to figure out this talent thing, regardless of where you are in the organization. And I'm telling you, um, you're not too old to learn. Because I have to tell you, you know, I, I'm, I'm a mid-60 white male. And I get calls from people, my peer group, who have just been outsized or downsized or right-sized. And, and, and they look to me for help. And, and I tell them, you know, quite honestly, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you didn't change your leadership style. Wow. You, you were still leading like it was, you know, um, 1995. And so, you know, any man can get this regardless of age. It gets back to the will. And, and so this gets back to, I believe the will comes from that personal connection. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do, if you really want to do this, is choose to start to learn. Mm -hmm. And it starts with one conversation. Go ask one woman you trust and ask her a bunch of times what you don't understand. So that's number one. Number two, start doing some reading on your own. Go read the McKenzie Women in the Workforce study. More importantly, choose to go to a women's conference. I don't care what conference it is. Um, some of the most powerful change I've seen in male leaders comes from immersion activities. Now, I speak at about 20 women's leadership conferences a year. Uh, and and so I intentionally will drag senior leaders in because for many, it's the first time they've been uncomfortable. Mm. And you bring them into a room and all of a sudden there's 300 women, there's 600 women. You do a conference in Pennsylvania, there's 3,000 women at the Pennsylvania Conference for Women. Mm -hmm. 
And you know what? All of a sudden, I don't care what level you're at, you look like a deer in headlights. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you realize, oh my gosh, this is what women feel like every day when they're the only one in the room. It's kind of like when the man walks into a bridal shower or a baby shower <laughs> and you start to see them learn. Yeah. And it's this immersion that takes place. And then, you know, if you've been to a women's conference, you know, most men have this preconceived notion that women's conferences, you know, women must sit around and just piss and moan about men, right? What else could they possibly be doing? And then you see amazing speakers you see motivational speakers, you see C-level women sitting up there and they're talking about how they got there. But you know what, a question might be asked, how did you balance your family with your career? Something I've never heard a male CEO asked. Right. And, and, and you will come out of that seven hour day changed. And if you don't choose to take some action at that point, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. You're just not going to be there. And, and that's probably the last thing I'm going to tell you. This work, this advocacy work is not for every man. Okay. I believe 30% of men want to help and it will take coaching in how to get better. And then I think you could get another 50% if they see the company serious about this and oh, quite frankly, these other men are getting ahead because they're doing it. And then the last thing is 20% of men will never get this. Uh -huh. And Kimberly, where do we put all of our training dollars? Uh, uh, you know, we, we put it against the idiots. Right. And, and, and I learned, you know, I had to train 4,000 people in diversity. Um, I'm not an idiot whisperer. Um, you know, I, it, it, whether, you know, pick, pick your poison, whether it's politics or whatever, you are not going to change people's minds. So don't bother. Right. But if you create a culture and a company that's inclusive and supports women and people of color and, and people of different, um, gender and sexual orientations, well, you know what, maybe that person will realize they don't belong there and they'll take their idiocy somewhere else. Well, that's fascinating, and, and I, I could not agree with you more that, you know, there's about a 30-30-30 split of those folks who don't know but want to know, who think they know that don't know, and those who don't want to know, they don't know and they don't want to know. Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. know, so I just say play with the people who want to play and then yep. move forward. But, you know, I'm curious in the organizations that you've trained – um, and I agree that it, should you take a male and plop them down into a corporate women's or not even corporate, but a women's conference where there are serious talks, serious presentations, women who have accomplished, you know, um, so many things, um, despite the implicit biases, um, mm -hmm. and all the, you know, kind of chits against them and have done a beautiful job to succeed however you know whether it's through corporate leadership on the boards whatever however yep. you define success um you know certainly men can learn a lot from that um you know and move the, move an organization forward but i'm curious you know in the work that you do um and, and this really is talking about change and and that's the the 
core of you know our movement of change makers is helping women create bold careers and lives what do you see as some of the resistance points yeah you know um and you touched on one of them um i think uh, a lack of empathy uh is a, is a big one this fact men and women don't believe that they're having different experiences mm. um i think apathy what's the big deal yeah and that means you haven't operationalized your business case you don't know why this is important from a customer standpoint from a talent standpoint um this whole lack of accountability thing and then i'm going to tell you the last one quite frankly is fear um you know there's a there's a huge percentage of men that are scared today about what they can say or do and this comes from senior leadership and you know i've heard companies say well we don't want leaders traveling with women or talking to women or having a, a drink after work with women and i'm going to tell you that is you know just abandoning leadership that's not leadership that's cowardice uh -huh. you can't have half of your workforce not working with the other half and we know all the informal connections that are made as you're doing that and this is where every ceo needs to stand up and say look when this company was founded a hundred years ago we had values on our wall and they're still in every annual report and if we are living these values then you should not be afraid to work with a woman and in fact if i ever hear or a woman says she has had an issue i want to know about it personally uh -huh. and and this is fascinating you know in, in this age of sexual harassment because there's one other element that organizations really need to be mindful of um you know if you think back to uber uh and, and that and that horrible situation millennial women are not going to call hr if they're being sexually harassed they're going to go on social media uh -huh. and all of a sudden you are only as good as your worst manager and now think about this you know we flash forward to starbucks who if you had asked me to name a, a best in class company for diversity and inclusion i would have said starbucks and what happened is a bad manager had a bad day and it got caught on video uh -huh. and they're immediately playing defense but you know what they responded they closed their stores they did training i don't know if that was enough but starbucks came out of this uber this was pre-ipo uber lost hundreds of millions of dollars in market cap because of an event that number one hr wasn't on top of senior leadership wasn't doing its job and so you've got to be prepared if you even think something is going on you need to be diligent about it and you need to hold everyone accountable yes um and honestly the thing that i see as the common denominator is courage yeah, absolutely you know courage lack you know uh, regardless of how it all plays out but if a manager a ceo a leadership team a leader um, has the courage to do the right thing um, i've always said if it's good for the client then it'll be good for the company 
which will be good for its employees. Yep. And, you know, sadly, what we hear most about is, is it good for the bottom line? Absolutely. And then they back it, they re reverse engineer it from there. Yep. And, and, that, know, and Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that. Uh, and that gets back to having this integrated strategy. You know, HR can't own this. They're, they're an enabler. They support, they build programs. This has to be owned by the business. People with P&L responsibility, whether that's sales or operations or supply chain, however you define that, that's the business case. So I'm curious, do you see any differences between um, public owned or publicly held companies versus privately held? Because there's a whole different dynamic going on. Yeah, boy, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that I've done enough research in that area to answer that adequately. Um, you know, most of my research comes from from, you know, uh, public domain information, which is, which are publicly traded companies that are, that are doing this. Right. Um, you know, my, my, what I will tell you, my, my initial reaction would be is, you know, if, if you're owned by a venture capitalist, which we know to be very male dominated, uh -huh. uh, and, you know, many venture capitalists are just about the bottom line, um, and return. And so if you're not getting the training, if you're not setting it up, I'm not saying there aren't private companies out there that are probably doing this well. Um, I, I, I just, you know, none really come to mind other than, um, you know, companies that were founded in that way. So Tom's Shoes, uh, Whole Foods, which was now, you know, bought um, and publicly traded. But you know, there's so many companies out there that have corporate social responsibility baked into what they do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Salesforce is a good example. You know, though, though they're publicly traded, they weren't for a long time. And their CEO came out and said, we're going to have gender pay transparency. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if women aren't making what men are, we're going to write a check. Wow. Well, you know what? Every CEO in this country could do that tomorrow. Yeah. They could ask for a report by role and job grade and know exactly who is not paid equitably. Mm. And they choose not to because yeah. they know they're going to have to write a big check. Yeah. Well, you know, don't you see the, I mean, I, I, I'm just this, considering the statistics that we know, um, what you alluded to earlier about who was in the workforce and who's coming up and the millennials being the dominant um, size uh, in the workforce today this if, if to, the message that i'm hearing jeffrey is that if leadership ceos do not begin to make some changes forward then this could in fact jeopardize the actual entity as a whole in not so many years to come yeah, and Kimberly, that's a great point because because I'll, I'll I'll build on that just a little bit to say, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, millennial men are not like their fathers. Mm. You know, they they've got different friendship groups. They're much more accepting of women as, uh, you know, as uh, primary breadwinners. Um, but here's the thing, and there's two pieces of of data that I would connect. 
you know, in this country today, um, women are still doing the bulk of the childcare responsibilities, the bulk of the cooking, uh, the bulk of household cleaning. And, and so um, there's, there's no visible demonstration that they are actually any better at this than their parents were. And then the second thing is, if, if we look at millennial men uh, and Silicon Valley, you know, there's no proof they actually know how to manage and leverage diversity. Uh, and that's what we're talking about here. It's not just, you know, accepting others. It's how am I really getting uh, the, the fullness of everything that you bring? And if you look at, at Silicon Valley, they've got some of the worst representation number for women's for women and these companies being run by very smart young millennial men. Uh -huh. So I, I don't, I don't know that they are the key. I sure hope they are. Uh -huh. um, I think they're more predisposed to gender equity, uh -huh. but I, I have not seen that research that shows um, they're the answer. Well, this is all an, an amazing um, ongoing experiment uh, in the evolution of humankind. Uh, yep. Right. I mean, it's yeah, absolutely. We've not we've not had. I mean, we don't have anything to point to um, historically um, because it's just not been there. And you know, I, I pray that it is for our you know for the the generations to come. Yep. Um, because it shouldn't be a struggle for all of us. And in different ways, we all struggle. We bring our own unique experience to yeah. it. But I can tell you, you know, my mom was a, was a full-time employed uh, employee for 55 years in medicine. Um, and I saw, you know, and, and role modeled under her. Yeah. Um, and it really shouldn't be as difficult for women no. as it is. And here's what I'll, here's kind of what I'll close with. And I'm going to tell you the change is coming and it's going to happen. Um, and it's really driven by um, th this number, this, you know, 10,000 boomers a day, 3.7 million boomers are leaving the workforce, hmm. but there's only a million people replacing them. Wow. Because birth rates have slowed. Right. And so, now, so let's take that. We're losing 2.7 million capable bodies just as a replacement. Today, there are 20 million job openings on LinkedIn Good. alone. Good Lord. And so think about this. If, if you're not managing your talent and doing everything you need to, you're the next Sears. You're the next Circuit City. You just don't know it. Right. And if you're clinging to, to old models of operating, mm -hmm. that's your going on a business strategy. And you, and you need to realize your best and brightest aren't going to stick around. Right. So you got to figure this out sooner rather than later. Exactly. You know, and I, I pray, honestly, I really do pray that the, uh, and I've encountered this a lot in, in my career paths, various, is the arrogance of ignorance. <laughs> yep you know because yep. um, that, that really is what I've seen a lot in my professional world and experience and um, and I've seen 
you know, businesses, privately held businesses in the professional services world run by white men that, you know, they, they sang us one song, but then when, when you looked at the numbers and yep. <laughs> in the reality, it, sang, it was a different song. But yeah. this, is, this is an absolutely fascinating, fascinating conversation. And male and female alike, uh, a lot of uh, good meat and juice to take from this. And so I have just two last remaining simple, fun questions. Sure. And that is number one, Jeffrey. If you could give your younger self one piece of professional <laughs> advice, what would that be? That's so funny. I get asked that question from time to time, and the, and the answer varies a little bit. Um, one is you don't always have to be right because um, some of my greatest career clashes and failures were fighting for my customer instead of doing what my company said to do. Um, and the other one would have been don't ever sell the Apple stock regardless of how much it goes down. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, we all want a piece of that, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this is wonderful. So we always, um, you know, we, we so enjoy and appreciate our guests and, and, you know, we get a lot of feedback from our listeners of wanting to connect following our podcast interview. So I certainly want to give you an opportunity to share with us what is the best way yep. that our listeners can connect with you after our interview here today. Yeah, the best way to connect with me, um, feel free to link in with me, but more importantly, go to my website www.theletterywomen.biz, uh, ywomen.biz, and there's a number of things for your listeners out there. I've got about um, five white papers on the awareness, accountability, and advocacy that I've talked about, uh, uh, creating a strategic business case. I have a fascinating quiz for men and women it's called the Male Advocate Profile or the Gender Advocate Profile for Women and Gender Non-Binary. And it talks about how you think about gender equity and finally the actions that you take. And then the last free thing I have for you is I publish a newsletter every three weeks and it's called Conversation Quick Starters. And I, I pull a short uh, magazine article, newspaper article, or even just a commercial. And I want you to treat this like a staff meeting in a box. Um, read this, watch the commercial, and I give you three questions to talk about in your staff meeting. It's free. Uh, we're not going to sell your list or anything. But at the end of the end of the day, the one thing I want people to do is start to have conversations around gender and use it as a gateway to have deeper, more meaningful conversations in their company. Well, that's wonderful. That's very generous of you, Jeffrey. And I ch I've checked out all those resources. Um, they're very insightful, um, definitely great tools um, for leaders today in workplaces, as well as, I know you're, you're very modest about this, but I have to share that the, your two books, Why Women, the Leadership Imperative, Advancing Women and Engaging Men, and then Selling to Men, Selling to Women, um, that you are a phenomenal contributor to Huff Huffington Post, the New York Daily News, and a two-time TEDx speaker 
which is like a man after my own heart. <laughs> Thank um, you. I would, I would love to know how you pull that one off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but we, we so much appreciate your willingness and, and, um, your grace and graciousness for joining us today. The content, the conversation will certainly continue. Um, we need more men like you in, in the workplace, you know, advocating and um, being that advocate for women in the workplace um, and holding the men accountable and because the business case is there. Um, and so we, we applaud you for the, the light that you're shining on all of this and, and, and playing with those folks who have a little bit of vision and a little bit of courage to help make the changes that we need to make for equity for all. So thank you. Thank you listeners for another episode listening in today. And until next time, continue to be the change that you want to see.